Well, welcome to the latest episode of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by adopted northerner Chris Maguire, once known as the banter king of Kent, now the cheeky chappy from Chorley. I was never known as the banter king of Kent, and I've never been known as a cheeky chappy from Chorley, but don't let facts get in the way of a good intro. Uh, Big news, Michael. You are now. Okay, well, big news. We've entered Apple's top 10 podcast charts in Bahrain. Don't ask me why, but, uh, you know, very pleased to welcome them and anybody around the world. In other news, we've ended the week with the same Prime Minister and Chancellor that we started with. So that's progress. Right. Before we start, though, a big thanks to our sponsor, Oscar Technology. Recruitment is the number one challenge for businesses, and Oscar Recruitment is the name that you can trust. Fantastic. So it's been a big week in the world of Twitter with the news that the world's richest man, Elon Musk, has bought the social media giant for an eye-wateringly 44 billion US dollars and immediately tweeted, the bird is freed. Two days later, our Northern Spin Twitter account was unlocked. Absolutely. Was blocked, blocked, in yeah, fact. It was locked first, uh, and then I couldn't work out why. So what I did is I tagged Elon Musk into a, uh, a tweet, and then fairly soon we were unlocked. But hey, listen, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but we launched our Twitter account last Monday. Uh, we tagged in a few MPs and a few political parties and a few, yeah, a few I offices. I think that's where you went wrong. I think so, yeah. Then we got locks for a breach of the rules, but no explanation as to why. Now, there are two reasons. Okay, we've upset Twitter's algorithms, or one of the people that we complained about or one of the people that we spoke about in last week's podcast complained about us. Anyway, I, I messaged Elon uh, on first name terms now and by Saturday evening we were unlocked. Well, I, I think there's some bad grasses in the Tory party that you tagged there. Okay, well, I mean, I say it's hard to know because they didn't say, but all we do know is that the bird has been unfreed and you can follow us on Twitter. All right. In other news, we're continuing to break new ground in Bahrain. Northern Spinners enter the top 10 political co- podcasts in Bahrain. Arlan produced Arlen. Yeah. Is that, is that right? Um, well, to our <laughs> listeners in Bahrain, which means welcome. Now, I do have a friend in Bahrain called Andrew Weaver, a very talented landscape photographer he might be our ambassador out there he might have spotted on facebook that i'm so we doing are this. two minutes into this and we've already got the first name drop it, chris he's a friend of mine <laughs> <laughs> just because i've got influential and uh, creatively talented friends yeah and the good news doesn't end there does it no it doesn't actually um so we're doing our first northern spin extra podcast this week uh, tomorrow Thursday, we'll be dropping our interview with David Foreman, the managing director of Pretura Ventures, who'll be giving the business perspective on what's been happening politically. So that'll be going out on Thursday. Thanks again to our friends from What Media who produced this. They make it happen, dropping that little bit of creative alchemy on the process. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but we've got a new prime minister. We've got a new cabinet. We've got, a, uh, you know, significantly for the north, a new levelling up secretary. Well, and the, the old ones come back. Absolutely, Michael, Michael yeah. Gove. Yeah, yeah. Leaky Sue, who we're going to talk about uh, shortly, six yes, days after the Home she Secretary was sacked. Yes, uh, come back, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got the uh, Michael Gove's come back as the levelling up secretary. Yeah. And we've also got the Home Secretary, who has come back from the dead six days after being sacked as well. Um, so in terms of things that have stood out for me, Michael, yeah, it on. feels like, to me, the grown-ups are back in the room in terms of the Liz Truss experiment is over. Thank goodness for that. It's like the kids were let loose. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was the idea that, hang on a minute, you know, it's half term, let's put Liz Truss in charge, even though she, uh, you know, ignores convention. So she's out. I thought her three-minute speech outside 10 Downing Street after her disastrous 49-day stay. Actually, there's some confusion as to how many days she was in charge. I've worked out on 49 days. About um, three of them, I think, really, in reality. There was... 
no contrition and no um, no use of the word sorry. Now, um, I don't want to give the game away because we've just gone into November, but uh, for Christmas, don't get a copy of Harry Cole's book, Out of the Blue, which is about the rise and fall. They've had to insert the wall and fall of Liz Trust uh, in time for Christmas. So that's something to look forward to, Michael. So I've read some extracts over the weekend in the Sunday Times and all the leaks about her rider, um, the way she treated staff when she was foreign secretary. She was more interested in Instagram pictures in Sydney Harbour with holding a Union Jack umbrella while riding a Brompton in front of Sydney Opera House rather than actually ne negotiating proper trade agreements with Australia. It's all about image with her. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what a terrible, terrible indictment of our shallow political times. Um, what else about this week has caught your eye? Well, it was Prime Minister's questions for the first time last Wednesday. That was quite significant. And then obviously the whole media rounds at the weekend where it seemed to be Michael Gove leading the charge. Um, and also the, the, the big story and the big attack from the Labour Party to the Tories was the fact, you know, the, the reappointment of Suella Braverman as Home Secretary and some of the rhetoric and language at the beginning of the week around an invasion and some of the contributions from people like Jonathan Gullis and Lee Anderson, who I, who I think, you know, I called out right last week, the thicko end of the Tory party. They're really proving that the nasty party's back. Yeah, it's interesting that some of the people who are making these outrageous comments like, if they don't like the accommodation in the UK, jump back in the dinghy and go back. That was Lee Anderson. Yeah, that was Lee it? Anderson, yeah. you know, uh, who is Asheville's MP. Um, these are the people who've got the smallest majorities and they are desperate to try and, you know, cling to power. Um, I want to talk about uh, Suella Braverman, Leaky Sue. So Keir Starmer called the appointment grubby and it's hard not to disagree. Quite clearly, they're trying to appease the right, the, uh, you know, the right side of the party. Uh, they're trying to appease the, the, the right wing uh, of the party. By, by, by bringing her into position. It does seem to me that there must have been some sort of deal whereby she agreed to back Rishi Sunak yeah. on the condition that she was brought yeah. back in. Um, I, I don't like the language that's being used. We've spoken about it before. I'm from Kent. It's a very, very emotive subject. Um, but there's also a huge humanitarian crisis. And I don't think some of the language that we're hearing about the word invasion, I don't think that's helpful to anybody. Um, I'm not sure... Well, Rishi Sunak won't want to sack her quite clearly... But equally, I don't think um, Sue Braverman can survive can survive too many more scandals. I mean, do you think she's 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 um, you know her heads on the block? Strangely enough, no. I think she's digging in. Um, I mean, this could this could be overtaken by events. We're recording this on Tuesday. My hunch is that she will survive. I, I, I'm not casting an opinion one way or the other whether she should or not. I think she'll survive because she's dug in and she's made it actually about an issue that I think the Tories are really quite keen to draw the demarcation lines. And that is these culture war issues about immigration, about migrants, an issue, frankly, that they haven't gripped, that the complete collapse in bilateral relations with France has been a massive contributor to this, this chaos that's happened in the English Channel. And she's thrown her predecessor, Priti Patel, under the bus and, and, and trashed and said the system is broken. I mean... And, and come out with the rhetoric that she has. So I think now, I, think, thing she, is, though, I think she'll survive. I think Rishi Sunak can't be seen to back down, despite the fact her whole, um, her whole narrative around the sequence of what it was that led to her being sacked by Liz Truss in the first place is unravelling before our very eyes. And yet she's doubled down on it. 
really? she said, actually, this is a big conspiracy to get rid of me because I'm tough on migrants. And I think there is a degree of opportunism here because it would be wrong to blame her for everything that's happened at Manston, for example. Manston's seven miles from where I was brought up. Right. You know, uh, I used to used to drive from where I was from, uh, Sandwich, you know, where they play the golf at St. George's, over to Thanet to see my nan every weekend. And you drive past Manston because there's an airfield there as well. Um, that it wasn't isn't a, a reception centre no, for no, refugees. No, no, I'm, no. I'm 50. I'm 50. It was just a, it was just an airfield. Um, and, and there is a lot of strong feeling about this as well. And you're right. They are trying to draw up some barriers. I mean, for her to say that, you know, it's out of control, which it is. I mean, the Conservatives have been in charge for 12 years. Um, but there's a degree of opportunism there. I think, as I say, I'm not sure Suella Braverman can survive too many more scandals, um, but we will watch this space. Yeah. A couple of things that uh, caught my attention this week as well. In the last week's podcast, I hinted at the fact I thought Simon Clark would lose his job as a levelling up secretary. No surprise when he did. I mean, basically, he, he backed Trust and he backed Sunak, then he backed Boris and he backed anybody who um, basically would uh, would uh, advance his career. At least that was the perception. If you yeah. want to come on the show, Simon, and uh, give us your side of the story, you'd be very welcome. They brought in Michael Gove, former levelling up secretary um, seen as a big hitter um, now the suggestion is that perhaps that's seen as being an attempt to win the red wall seats back because if the Conservatives are going to win the next general election they've got to win these red wall seats where there's a huge element of distrust at the moment they've got to start delivering on some of these schemes I mean one idea would be the Northern Powerhouse Rail but that's too big a scheme to get over the line in the next two years there's a lot of stuff in the press this week, don't know if you've seen it, about Avante Westline and Trans Pennine Express and the increasing number of trains and it's increasing chaos, numbers. Ah, well, Jen Williams has spoken about this as well. The FT journalist. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And last week, Labour's mayors of West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, Manchester, Liverpool and the North of Tyne called on Rishi Sunak and the government to treat, their word, not mine, chaos in the rail services as an emergency. And I think what works with stuff like this is it's the things that people remember. When you're writing a newspaper story, don't just write for yourself, write for the audience. And there was a piece in The Guardian saying that some passengers using Avante were urinating in Pringle pots. Why, because the toilets were blocked? Yeah, no, absolutely, because because they couldn't get to the toilet, because they were counting so many trains, the trains were overcrowded. Have you ever... Have you ever taken a drink out of a a bottle thinking it was lilt and realizing somebody had used it? No. 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 Okay. It's just me then. <laughs> However, the very first concert, the very first festival I went to outdoors in 1985, I went to see U2 and REM at Milton Keynes Bowl. And I thought, oh, why are people throwing bottles of beer around? That seems ever so wasteful. Yeah. Before realizing that this thud on my shoulder of liquid. Was we, it was in fact something else? We did. I, I, I sort of digress slightly, but I used to do investigations, journalism investigations, and we used to go in the back of a van and take pictures of people. It was a bit surreptitious, but the people we were taking weren't nice people. You had their phones was, as well. I was with no, 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 never did any of that. Never did any of that. But I was with an Australian journalist, and he said to me, he said, This bottle of lilt is warm. <laughs> and I said, It's not a bottle of lilt. But he was Australian, so we all laughed. Um, what, what else stood out for you this week? Right, you hinted that levelling up might be back and that it's actually all about winning back red wall seats. I'm, I'm less interested in the politics long term and more interested in the policy implications of Michael Gove taking up residency again as levelling up secretary. Now, he was on the big political shows at the weekend, both on Sophie Ridge on Sky and Laura Koonsberg on the BBC. And it was clearly set up for him to talk about housing. There was a clip of a, a young housing campaigner that he's obviously been in dialogue with who wants to improve council housing and housing association properties, which obviously is, is, is good. Gove was also tasked with defending the indefensible, Suella Braverman. At no point 
did he use that opportunity to revisit or retread the leveling up white paper, which only came out seven months ago. And that was meant to be a signature conservative policy that they won the 2019 general election on. Um, in, in mitigation, in fairness, he has spoken to the metro mayors, the Labour metro mayors of, uh, of, Brit of Eng England's cities to give them reassurance that he's open for business and open to ideas. He's kicked into to the long grass, I feel, investment zones. He says if there's any attempt to bypass or cut out environmental legislation, then they will not be granted. So there was, there was something there, but there was no real rhetoric. There was no none of the stuff around Medici Florence mm -hmm. and the whole muddle around um, levelling up that, uh, that I wrote about in the Big Issue cover story back in February this year. Incidentally, the, the, the levelling up white paper was not, it was really light on spending commitments and who, of course, was the Chancellor at the time? Oh, Rishi. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of speculation in the press today that what they're going to do is we're going to see more tax rises. So they don't want to they don't want to cut back everything. So they're talking about fifty billion pounds worth of cuts, but they probably need to save about thirty five to forty billion. So well, they've got a bit of headspace. Well, the, the, there's two areas of cuts that are really profound at the moment. As you know, I work at a local authority. Um, it's on everybody's minds in every council in the country at the moment. You know, there's, there's rising costs of of energy. There's rising costs of operations. There's uh, uh, operational costs. Um, workers want a pay rise, of course, and unions are in protracted negotiations, whether that be at the professional level or, a, or with Unison, the, the, the main local government union. There's huge pressures on costs in local government. And some of the figures that you see are absolutely terrifying. Um, mm. The adult social care precept hasn't increased. I think we're facing a really, really stark time in local government finance. And the ability of local government to put up council tax. Who, who wants to be a politician putting up council tax or, or putting a referendum that you can put council tax above 3%, which they'd have to do in this environment? Nobody. No one's going to want to do that. I tell you what. We're really, really austere times facing us. Saturday, I went out 17 degrees. You know, I'm not for global warming, but but we do not want a cold winter because that will be that will be dreadful. Um, somebody else want to pick your brains about. We both met him. Sir Jake Berry. Can't believe Sir he's Jake Sir Perry. Jake Berry, yeah. former Conservative chairman, uh, local former MP. Former at Hammonds. Yeah, local MP as well. Yeah. Obviously, he's been in the news a bit this week. What's your view on um, Sir Jake? He's on manoeuvres. So he was... Um, made chair of the Conservative Party, for which he relinquished his role as chairman of the Northern Research Group, which had the potential to be the awkward squad of Northern Tory MPs pushing the government to really deliver on levelling up. So he's, he's out of that, he's, he, and he's now out of being the chairman of the Tory party. And he was straight out of the blocks, pointing out that Suella Braveman committed, and I quote him, multiple breaches of the ministerial code, which led to her sacking. What I think about it's interesting about Jake Berry is there was clearly a message about party unity because the Conservatives have been blood, have been eating themselves up um, and and he clearly didn't get the memo the memo which said hey party unity Jake um, I think his comment at the party conference was the death knell for his career when he spoke about the fact that you know people struggling with bills should get a new job that was really unhelpful yeah. um, hard to see a way back for Jake Berry under Rishi Sunak he, he but he does have both the 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 motive and the motivation now um, to be to be the leader of the 
Mallorca squad. And I think yeah. I think it'll be very interesting what he does from the back benches. I do want to give a... Uh, and incidentally, um, so Jake, if you do want to come on the show and give us your side of the story, that invite is open. I'd like to give a quick shout out to the new Secretary of State for Education, Gillian Keegan, no relation to, uh, you know, the other Keegan, uh, who grew up in uh, Knowlesley in Merseyside. Uh, there are a few interesting names. Anything caught your eye? Yeah, Gillian Keegan's interesting. I saw her speaking at a new statesman conference which probably was two years ago um, in Manchester. One of the first things that we were able to go to, and it was about a year ago, actually, Chris. Um, and it struck me, she's exactly the sort of person that the Labour Party would have loved to have had as a as one of their politicians, sort of post-97 in the Blair years, worked in the private sector, really articulate, northerner. I think her, she's probably a Cameroon conservative. Mm. She was the sort of person that David Cameron wanted to attract into the Tory party to win seats. Um, so, yeah, she's an interesting choice at, at education. I was also really pleased about two of the appointments that she's made to the education team. Uh, Nick Gibb, who's the schools minister I've seen on a number of platforms. And Robert Halfen, who's been a skills minister and chair of the all-party parliamentary group on skills and apprenticeships in the past. He's a really interesting politician, MP for Harlow in Essex. But, um, you know, he's really sort of blue-collar conservatism. He's an interesting thinker on that, um, on that part of the Tory party. And I'm pleased to say that they're replacing the awful Jonathan Gullis and the dreadful Andrea Jenkins. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Before we go to our first break, I want to give a quick name check out, actually, to Rob Parsons. Uh, Rob Parsons is the host of The Northern Agenda, which is Reach's podcast. Well, I had a good chat with him this week. Nice guy. It turns out what a small world it is, because um, he said to me, Chris, were you at the Gloucestershire Echo in the early 20s? Uh, <laughs> 20, uh, 20s? And I said, yeah, is that absolutely. that when the Tetbury man got wed? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if you don't remember, that was uh, when I was at the Bristol Evening Post, actually, and Mike Lowe, God bless him, the editor at the time, said Tetbury man gets wed, which was when the then Prince Charles was to marry Camilla as well. No, I went to work at the Gloucestershire Echo twice, actually, but I went there again in about 2002. And this guy, Rob Parsons, was doing five weeks work experience there. And that's where he cut his teeth. But he's doing a great job now at the Northern Agenda. And it's it's just nice that, you know, even though we're journalists, we can... Uh, we can. Uh, did, you know, you, did you send him to stores for a glass hammer? Uh, that's probably a bit too, probably a bit over my head actually. Um, but I will ask him about that. Or a long wait. Absolutely. Um, now that's all for the first part of uh, this week's episode of Northern Spin. After the break, we're going to be looking at something which is quite controversial actually, which is Manchester and the North's relationships with China. And is it too close? <laughs> Well, welcome back. Before we talk about the North's relationship with China, I want to give a quick, uh, another quick shout out. I sound like a DJ here um, to Liverpool John Lennon Airport, uh, which has been named the best in the UK by that uh, consumer bible. Which, not so good news, however, for Manchester Airport, as their three terminals occupied all three bottom three slots in that same ranking. Terminal three had a customer satisfaction rating of just 38. The comments there pretty much concur with those I submitted to the country's worst airport in a consumer survey after my trip to Porto last week. Honestly, it was just such a shocking experience and there is clearly so much work to be done at Manchester Airport. No such uh, rating, however, now for 
whatever it's called. It used to be Finningley, then it was Robin Hood Airport, then it was Sheffield Doncaster Airport, and now it's no airport at all. It's closed. Yeah, by, well, we're going to talk group. about. Yeah, we're going to talk about that actually because uh, the owners Peel have decided to close it because they say it's not commercially viable. Yeah. So that's getting a lot of airtime on the uh, Northern Agenda, but something that we will pick up. What I want to talk about now actually is the North relationship with China. Back in 2015, we both remember it. Chinese President um, Xi Jinping was given a VIP tour of Manchester. They went to the National Graphene Institute. They also went up to Manchester City's Etihad campus and had their picture taken with various players. Um, now, it was all part of uh, George Osborne, the then Chancellor, and David Cameron's Northern Powerhouse project. Now, if we fast forward seven years, October, we're now in November, but last month, one of China's most senior diplomats in the UK was videoed in very unpleasant and savoury scenes against pro-democracy protesters at the Manchester Consulate. How extensive, Michael, is China's influence in Manchester and wider Northwest? Yeah, Chris, it's absolutely massive. And I think we saw with um, President Xi's visit to to uh, the Northwest quite how the Northwest was bending over backwards to to work with China. So much of the investment around the universities is geared up to recruiting Chinese students. A lot of the property development, you know, the cranes that you see on the skyline, they're building um, they're building apartment blocks that are funded by Chinese investors, both either private investors or institutional investors, and. Of course, there's the investment at Airport City, which mysteriously seems to have stalled. So just a bit of insight, Chris. When I worked at Manchester Metropolitan University, uh, I occasionally hosted Chinese visitors. And I took a group from the Chinese Olympic Committee to a Champions League game at the Etihad Stadium, Man City against Shakhtar Donetsk, I think, from memory. Uh, City, of course, is 25% Chinese owned. The Abu Dhabi uh, United Consortium Sheikh Mansour, they sold, they pretty much got all their money back that they invested from 2008 to 2018. They got an almost 100% return I didn't by, know that. by selling a state to the Chinese. No, I didn't know that. So the university, um, again, Manchester Met, is some way behind the University of Manchester on its recruitment of Chinese students. It's not anything like of the same scale, but um, they have opened an office in Wuhan province, which none of us knew where it was at the time, but yeah. we all knew where it was by March, didn't we? Did you go there with your very good friend, Peter Mandelson? Nice try, Chris. Okay. No, I did not. Okay. I've never been to China. Um, I want to give an insight into like China's influence in the business sector as well. Yeah, um, there's a Chinese property developer and a construction company called BCEGI, which stands for Beijing Construction and Engineering Group International, based at Manchester Airport, where they're involved in the £1 billion airport city project. You mentioned it earlier. It does appear to have stalled. They've just been involved. I saw a press release last week in a groundbreaking ceremony for a 23-storey, multi-million pound high-rise residential tower in Eccles. I mean, this is the fabric of Manchester. Um, BCEGI is also the main contractor for the one billion Middlewood locks, which I drive past to get into Manchester every every Monday and Tuesday when we record this podcast. That's a mixed-use development in Salford. You can see their influence in Liverpool. You can see it in Wigan. You can see it across the northwest. Um, so when we talk about China's influence in the region, the two are inextricably linked. They absolutely are, but um, there's just thing about Airport City. There's a, an excellent column in Place Northwest, which is a, a, um, a property and infrastructure website set up by my good friend Paul Unger. And David Tame, who I think is one of the best journalists working in Britain today, has done an excellent subplot column this week about Airport City, how it's stalled, it's no longer being marketed, the agents don't seem to be mandated to, to try and attract business to it. 
it seems to have gone really quiet with the Hook Group's um, project as well at, uh, at Airport City. That's Chinese investment. You know, what's going on there? Yeah, I think it's a question of watch this space as well. And, and, and we'll probably talk about the influence of doing business with overseas countries uh, and, 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 and regimes. Well, what, the, the, there is a moral question to answer. Yeah, well, all right, we'll talk about it in the... Yeah, no, bit. absolutely, absolutely, because I want to get your opinions on the World Cup and you might want to get my opinions on the Rugby League. But the that's... The Rugby League? World the Rugby League, actually. I was there last week for the, uh, you know, for the date night that I went with uh, Mrs. M. But so we're just going to go for a short break and then we'll be back afterwards for uh, details of my secret date night with my wife. <laughs> So this is the part of the show, Chris, where you can provide a cultural update on your attempts to become more northern. What have you been up to? It's funny, actually, because we try and be all highbrow and we talk about politics and business, et cetera, et cetera. And yet people say to me, Chris, how did your date night go? Uh, I, I, I mentioned it last week. Um, but uh, on Saturday, before I mention and tell everybody, I'm going to create the suspense here, like the X Factor. Saturday, I got I got taken to Blackpool Illuminations. Okay. Did you enjoy that? Nope. No, it's not my cup of tea, if I'm being completely honest with you. But basically, it's just driving down a windy seafront yeah, with lots yeah, of lights. Yeah, no. I mean, we drove from the South Shore end, and then it was chock-a-blocker, which you expect. So my wife said, let's go to the other end. Uh, the, the I think it's the North Shore end. Is it Bishop? I can't remember anyway. So then we got stuck in more traffic. Um, and actually, I'm 50 years of age. It's not aimed at my demographic. And it, it, they attract... Thousands and thousands of people. So it does its job. They don't need me to tell it's a great job. My wife, who is from Liverpool, never misses it every year. She loves it. Oh, wow. Me, as a South Southerner, to be honest with you, just doesn't get, don't get it. I don't see the value of paying £5 for one of those light things that you hold around for 10 minutes and then it stops working and you've just lost the fibre. Um, what I did enjoy, though, is I mentioned Come this date night. Last Tuesday, I said to Mrs. M, I said, well, I'm going to take you out for a night you're never going to forget. And she was quite excited. She got all dressed up. And when we rocked up at Warrington um, and we were outside Warrington Wolves Rugby League Stadium, and then she said to me, her exact words were, actually, I won't tell you what her exact words were, but she said, you're having a laugh, Chris. <laughs> and I said, no. I said, I promise you travel. <laughs> and I, she said, I promise you travel. I'm going to take you to watch Papua New Guinea versus the Cook Islands on Tuesday. And um, I mean, I, I, I've only ever been to one rugby league game before this, but really, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I went no to watch, way. I went to watch Wigan Warriors, but as a kid growing up, I mentioned it earlier. I was very, very, very close to my nan who died about 13 years ago. He's 99. And uh, I'd go over there with my twin brother on a Saturday, my mum and my brother would go out shopping with my mum. And I would sit there with my nan and Merrick and I'd be watching rugby league and Eddie Waring, you know, up and unders. And you see these, you know, whole KR and these sort of matches. And I didn't, understand the rules i never understood the rules but it didn't stop me enjoying it so i rocked up and who should be there but a good friend of mine mike pearls who's the founder of mc2 he's a non-exec director of the uh, rugby world cup board sandy Lindsay, who is another good friend of mine she's heavily involved as well in the rugby football league as well so you know when we talk about the world cup it's massive for the north as is rugby league for the north as well and we bumped into a guy called simon johnson who's the chair of the rugby football league and he recognized that my wife didn't know much about the rules even though it's on a par with me and she sat and he sat next to Leah my wife and he explained all the rules to her and get this at the end of the game when I said to Leah with two minutes to go because I am one of these people who likes to leave a game early to avoid the traffic no absolutely always leave oh, two minutes no. early I, I leave, never ever do that well I leave two minutes early that's one of the many ways we're different <laughs> and Leah said to me she said Chris can we stay 
And I said, no, we can't. And um, if you've gone hospitality, which presumably you did, you can stay back and have a brew and a yeah, pie. It, and There were 6,000 people there, but it felt like a lot more. And actually, I mean, the thing is, the game was done and dusted. If it had been nip and tuck, I probably would have stayed. But uh, absolutely fantastic. I cannot speak highly enough about the Rugby League World Cup. So you're going to be going back to more Rugby League? Um, I'm hoping to get tickets. I'm hoping to get tickets. Um, but it won't be a secret date so are, you, are you going to go to the final between Australia and New Zealand? Well, no, no. Because that's who it's going to be. It always is, isn't it? No, it won't be, actually. It won't be. It'll clearly be Australia. Australia against... I don't think England can play Australia till the final. We've got a big game this weekend in the uh, quarters. Uh, it looks like, all things being equal, if England do their job, and I've got every every faith in this team. Sean Wayne's an amazing coach. I think they'll get... It'll be England-Australia in the final. I think I'm right in Australia. Australia have won eight out of nine World Cup finals. So yeah. they're stacked, heavy favourites. Um, I, think, I think I saw New Zealand beat Australia at Old Trafford in a Rugby League World Cup final about eight years ago. Yeah, like I say, I'm have not I, an expert have I on... dreamt that? No, I don't know. I'm not an expert on Rugby League, but right. I'm sure our audience will tell us if you're wrong. Um, but uh, so Rugby League... Yeah, yeah. so I, there's a great description of Rugby League, which is it's a simple game played by simple people, while Rugby Union is a complex game played by... Such and well, such, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Because obviously we do want to, we don't lose our approval rating, do we? Yeah, but I'm basically doing this yeah. with my hand. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, hand yeah. signal time, okay. So I, I don't know the game well. I don't come from a coalfield town, so I can't claim to be that caught up in it. But the culture of rugby league does seem to be a really positive one. Fans of all clubs, for instance, did you know this? Yeah. That, you know, if you're a fan of Salford Red Devils, that you all put your shirts on and go to the grand final, whether it's in Newcastle or Old Trafford or wherever. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's genuinely the culmination of the season because obviously they couldn't fill a stadium just with Wigan and Leeds fans. I think the final of the Rugby League World Cup is the 19th of November. I know that because that is Mrs M's birthday. Um, oh, you're gonna... that'd, be, that'd be lovely oh, if she, she was to get treated, there. Um, and then the week after, we've got the beginning of the Football World Cup in Qatar. Well, yes, indeed. Um <sighs> I'm really torn about this. I love World Cups. I, I, I've been to a few of them in France and Germany, but I'm really torn about this. That it, The whole thing being in Qatar leaves a horrible taste in my mouth, just as it did when the World Cup was hosted uh, the last time in Moscow, in Russia, in, sorry, in Russia. It just felt wrong to me that the whole process was clearly corrupt and the human rights abuses, the number of people who've died constructing those stadiums just it's just horrific and a part of me i just can't get excited about this world cup see you, you mentioned talking about this on a podcast and i'll be honest with you at the time i thought to myself you know is this the right vehicle for it and then i listened to uh, news agents which is a podcast with i would like to call them a rival podcast but uh, <laughs> i think it would be northern spin who um but emily Maitlis was on yesterday with lewis goodall who i like and uh, john sopel wasn't there um but they had gary lineker on okay. and um they were talking about the whole issue of sports sports washing um yeah. and lewis goodall who wouldn't pretend to be a sports anorak he hadn't heard of the phrase um no. but they were talking about sports washing and yeah. they were saying at the moment there's a lot of talk about it in terms of football clubs or, or regimes buying premier league clubs uh, and then you can talk about live golf as well, which is very controversial at the moment as well. But they said you could take sports washing all the way back to Nazi Germany um, and wow. the Olympics back then. If you're actually trying to change it, and then you look at Russia, the World Cup in 2018, um, and then you could look at other World Cups as well and the whole issue of FIFA. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I thought it's absolutely outrageous. It's outrageous that the World Cup is taking place there. Um, and Gary Lineker said he will not stand down from criticising 
Qatar and some of their issues. I mean, here's the thing, and, and I'm basing it on what I heard yesterday. There are 50 countries in the world which have the death penalty for being gay. You know, and, and, I, and I thought about that. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of women's football. And the Lionesses were amazing. And there are a lot of footballers who, who play for the Lionesses who are gay and I'm proud about it. And, and they are changing people's perception. Right and yet, and yet, could they play in a World Cup? In Qatar. Would they want to? Would they want to? Yeah, no. would they want to? And it was interesting that a lot of the Australian footballers came out and said, yeah. um, you know, they they stood up and they had to be counted. And Gary Neville's going out there to talk, uh, to do some commentary for their national TV as well. And I really hope he uses that position to talk about some of those issues. But because it won't, make, it won't make any difference. So you had this in Russia four years ago for the World Cup there. And basically the BBC journalists went on a bit of a jolly and they said, how's the World Cup been? And they were like, Oh, it's been all right. Yeah, it's quite, it's great here. The people are lovely. Well, of course they're going to say that. Russia was turning on the charm to try and impress the world. You know, it wasn't, it wouldn't be cracking heads on the streets. They'd be doing that in down dark alleyways and chucking people out of windows. They, they say. And invading their neighbours. Because government ministers have said that, you know, take care if you are gay and you go over there and just respect the cultures. Yes, James um, cleverly said that. Yeah, he? yeah. And, and actually, uh, I'm going to give a big shout out to an MP, a Conservative MP, um, Alicia Kearns, who's the MP for Rutland and Melton. Um, she was speaking on this podcast yesterday and she was saying that she, she was the, Best talking, most common sense Conservative MP I've heard for a long time. Oh, the Daily Mail, eh, Chris? Uh, no, she, never no, leaves you. No, she was, she's, it was never there in the first place, as you know. But she was just saying that she goes to some countries in the world and, and they ask you to respect their culture and cover up, et cetera, et cetera. She said, that's fine, that's right, and she does that. But there's no excuse for for you know this this their approach to you know um, you know uh, you know people all, who are gay. There's all sorts of things. It. Just the whole process of it. Just coming back to sports washing. So Newcastle, Man City, owned by effectively repressive regimes, in City's case, two, yeah. China and um, um, and Abu Dhabi. And, you know, it comes to a point, do you, are you a hypocrite because you support one of these football clubs? And on one hand, you might be a, speaking out against human rights abuses, but on the other hand, you using your hard-earned money to pay for season tickets. Not the same not the same comparison I'm going to use now, but you mentioned the word hypocrite, you know. So you're a big fan of Blackburn Rovers, currently, I think, second in the league as we um, as we record this as well. Now, you're doing some work with Blackburn Rovers now, yeah. which you're thoroughly enjoying as I well. Yeah. Back in the day when the Venkies took over, and we are not suggesting, incidentally, that we're not comparing the Venkies to some of the club owners at, that, that we've just been talking about, but but you were very, very public in your criticism of the Venkies because they weren't yeah. very good. Well, we did get relegated yeah. twice. Yeah, yeah, but... But they weren't very good in their PR. You know, they yeah. weren't very good in their, their public facing aspect. Yeah. They were getting lots and lots of criticism. You criticised them. Now you're yeah. taking money from the club. Yeah, okay. You're a hypocrite. Yeah, I probably am. But um, would I be a hypocrite if I was deleting those posts or I was or I would deny any of those things that you've put in front of me? Yeah. Thing is, Chris, I supported Blackburn Rovers back in the 70s when we were owned by local Tory businessmen. I continued to support them when we were owned by a tax exile who, you know, and I, I don't particularly agree with tax evasion, but I, I was very happy to celebrate all the success that we got by Jack Walker's millions. And I, and I will continue to support Rovers after the Venkis have long gone, hopefully, that uh, they might sell it to somebody else. It's always my club. It's Arkley, it's Blackburn Rovers, it's Blue and White Halves. So he, he will put all those things are a constant. 
And, and I think I retain the right to be able to say what I think when people get it wrong. Nobody's put me under any pressure to, to whitewash it. I've not gone in as director of comms and attempting to make excuses or sports wash what they've done. And if they get it right, and they have continued to support the club, and it's fair to say as well now, Blackburn Rovers is a much more friendly club towards the 30% of the non-white population of Blackburn, whether that's down to the fact that the ownership is from the Indian subcontinent. I'd like to think it was. I wrote an open letter mm. to Venkis when they took over to say, you have a golden opportunity to unlock a new supporter base if you could reach out to them. I don't think they did, but whether they are or not now is a different matter. And it's quite clear that there was an element of sports washing going on. Yeah. They wanted to open, you know, to, ch to take on KFC by being the owners of a Premier League club that gave them instant profile and it didn't quite work out like that. Well, they could be the owners of a Premier League club next season if they uh, if they keep uh, they keep doing as they are. Let's oh, hope so. One thing I thought was interesting because we're about to conclude is that uh, Laura Woods, brilliant, um, brilliant presenter, she's announced she's going to be working for ITV in the World Cup coverage as well. And she said, I quote, we'll also be reporting on what has been happening in Qatar in the build-up to this tournament and the practices that continue to take place. Um, now, I just mentioned Gary Neville earlier. I'm not saying that Gary Neville shouldn't do that. I'm not saying Laura Woods <coughs> shouldn't go out there and work. They're entitled to work. And, and so they should. I mean, Gary Neville's working for the Qatari broadcaster, being as well. Um, all I'm saying is that they've got a fantastic opportunity here to report on some of the issues, some of the some of the things that, that are taking place there that 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 can't be condoned as well. Um, will you be watching the first game of this, the first game of the World Cup? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I can't get excited about the fact the World Cup's in Qatar. It remains an absolute travesty that it's there. My my instinct is not to. But do you know what? When that first Wales match comes on and the team are on the pitch with Michael Sheen whipping them up into a frenzy and singing Land of My Fathers, you know, my dad won't have a dry eye um, remembering the first World Cup since 1958 for the Welsh team. So you've, you've, you're now claiming to be Welsh? My dad's Welsh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all from episode eight of Northern Spin. We're now on Apple Podcasts, so please give us a five-star review and tell your friends and family to give it a listen. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter now that we've been unlocked at uh, Northern underscore Spin One. Also, don't forget to have a listen to our Northern Spin Extra podcast, which drops tomorrow, Thursday, following our interview with David Foreman from Praetura Ventures. Thanks as ever to What Media for recording this podcast and to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. His track, New Beginnings, is a proper 90s Manchester vibe, which isn't bad for a kid born in 2004. This has been Northern Spin. I'm Michael Taylor. And I'm Chris McGuire. <laughs>